I want to spend some time this morning and um, just share with you a couple of words out of Matthew chapter 21. It's Palm Sunday, and it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to uh, journey with Jesus this week in Holy Week. Um, so the message today I'm going to entitle, uh, When You're on the Road That Leads to a Dead End. And I think uh, you'll kind of put two and two together as we get there. So if you have your Bibles or if you have an app on your phone, uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 21, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them away right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Listen to the words of the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It says the disciples went and they did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So we're going to find out that this is a way of, of showing a, a kingship here. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. That's why we call it Palm Sunday, because they, they basically were waving palms, which again, which is another way of saying a king, a person of importance, is coming. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So I, as we think about this story, and as we think about uh, the importance of this narrative, um, it, it leads me to believe, I, I sat there all week just um, uh, with this this sinking feeling, because I, I just know that down in the depths of his stomach, Jesus was feeling this. Uh, you know, he just kind of had that, that feeling of, ah, you know, like my stomach is sinking, because it, it really was uh, the beginning of his journey into Jerusalem, that he was going to go to the cross, and, and this was the fulfillment of the plan that he has. Ironically, this passage I just read to you out of Matthew 21 is only one of 11 other passages that's contained in all four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them mention Jesus coming into Jerusalem and being hailed as King, the Messiah, um, on, on what we call this, this Palm Sunday. I, I'm intrigued, and I guess I had a little levity this week as I was sitting here thinking about when, when Jesus sends the apostles out and, and he sell, tells them to go get the, the donkey and the colt. And, and it doesn't say, you know, was there some kind of transaction monetarily? And my mind kind of went, you know, you know how my mind is, folks. It kind of, you know. So I, saw, I thought, man, he's exercising a Jedi mind trick. So they go there, it's like, the donkey is mine. And, and it was his, and, and, and so we got that. Uh, so so here, here he comes into Jerusalem. The crowds are hailing him as king, and on the surface, everything looks great. But you know, deep down, deep down, again, in the pit of his stomach, Jesus has got to be agonizing. And we know later on in the, um, in the narrative of the passion story that he agonizes in prayer in Gethsemane uh, later on in, in, in the evening, and, and it just things begin to change. He's, he's wrestling with the depths of his soul. 
You know, um, as Holy Week comes, and, and it begins today with Palm Sunday, then we have Maundy Thursday, and Maundy Thursday is where we, we relive the foot washing, uh, where Jesus becomes servant of all. We, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, where he actually um, instituted the new covenant, which is by, not just by, uh, you know, the old covenant, but he institutes a new one, that he is now the sacrifice that, that redeems all people. And then we go to Good Friday, and Good Friday is that, that, that lonely, powerful, painful journey to the cross with Jesus' scourging and, and, and just his torture, and it brings us to that point. And, and we, folks, we've got to go through all of that before we can get to Easter. Uh, we've got to see the cross before we can get to the empty tomb. So, so Jesus is, is sold out to this ministry. Um, he knows that he, he has been brought to earth for this one purpose, and that is to go to Jerusalem and, and ultimately to die. But, you know, there, I, I want to kind of move away from this story for a second. I want to introduce someone else, and, and I want to introduce a perspective of a, of a guy that knew Jesus quite well. In fact, um, uh, he probably uh, didn't like playing games because he was the brother of Jesus. He was James, you know, like, you know, hey, Jesus, who can run faster? Well, guess what? Jesus could. Hey, uh, Jesus, you know, let me swim across the water. Jesus walked on the water. I mean, you know, James could never, he could never win. And, and in fact, you know, what we learn is that James didn't even believe his brother Jesus was the Messiah until well after his death and resurrection. And then James became a powerful witness all throughout the church of Jerusalem and said that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I want to I take us to some words of James and kind of reflect on that as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem about how when you're on the road that leads to a dead end. You know, James', James is writing helps us understand a lot of things. You know, he, he talks to us about how to, how to manage our mouths. He talks to us about gossip. He talks to us about adversity. He talks to us about uh, the challenges, favoritism, uh, name-calling. Uh, but this topic of adversity is really where I want to go this morning because I think that when James talks about adversity, I think he is reminding us of what Jesus went through. Um, as it began that holy week. And, and James begins to say things like, you know, persecution. And he talks about famine. And he talks about, um, you know, being uh, un unemployed or underemployed. He talks about all these things. And I think we could just kind of um, imagine ourselves inter inter interplacing inside of that too, that, that coronavirus. You know, James is saying that when these things of adversity come, you know, like Jesus riding into Jerusalem, knowing he's going to die, when we're facing and perplexed with the things that are happening today, James is trying to help us to know that in the midst of that, God has already begun a great work in you, that God is creating joy in your soul right now. You may not see it, you may not feel it, you may not even think about it, but trust me, in the midst of your adversity, God is creating a spirit of joy in your soul. So let me ask you a question this morning. Um, who here feels like, Life isn't what it should be. I mean, I'm going to raise my hand, uh, you know. Um, so, so what do we do with that? What do we do in the midst of that? I mean, uh, when things overwhelm us, when things um, come and they trouble our hearts, what do we do? You know, sometimes <clears throat> we go through these things of life and, and we, just, we just shout out, Lord, I never asked for this. I didn't ask for her to leave me in the midst of our marriage. I didn't ask for my employer to lay me off. I didn't ask for my kids to, to, to be struggling. Right? I didn't ask, I didn't ask, I didn't ask for any of this. But, but yet it's, it's the reality, isn't it? It's real, it's where, where we are. 
Jesus is, is riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, the back of a colt, and, 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 and he is sitting there wrestling, wrestling with the fact that he knows his death is coming. And let me tell you, um, don't believe it when people say, well, well you know, it didn't, it didn't impact him at all. Remember, our, our scriptures teach us that he was fully human and fully divine. So that humanness uh, of experiencing that, that emptiness, that pain that was coming, was real even to Jesus. But let's, let's, let's see what James has to say. Listen to these words. Let me go to James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. I'm going to read from the message translation. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Now let's pause for a second. So James says when, when life is, is, is full of surprises. When life is full of surprises, I'm supposed to be happy, right? I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to see it as a gift. Okay, so I don't know about that one, James. So, so you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced in the open, and it shows its true colors. Okay, I can, I can agree with that, because depending upon what's affecting me, um, you know, I think it's healthy to, to tell the truth. I think it's healthy to, to tell the ones that I love or, or the ones that, that, that uh, I'm accountable to, the ones that are a part of my, my spiritual life, uh, to be honest about that. And, and when I'm honest about that, folks, it, it tells the truth about your spiritual life. And I'm not saying that because it shows us all as being spiritual lightweights. What I'm saying about that is, is it's a way to help us to see that in the midst of that, our spiritual life can still be strong and that God is, is building upon that. You know, he says, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Uh, if you, have, have you ever been in a, um, a conversation, a spirited conversation with someone, maybe someone that you love, and, and maybe, some, maybe your spouse, maybe your husband or your wife, maybe they're a peacemaker, and maybe, maybe the other one is the one that's got to make the point, drill it down, and I got to show you that I'm right. Sometimes the peacemaker will cave in quickly just to get it over with and just so that things can move on. James says don't do that. He says stay in the moment because even as peacemakers, like that relationship piece I was just talking about, when we stay in the conversation, then the truth comes out and then we can build upon whatever challenges, concerns, or things that separate us, we can build upon that for a stronger relationship, can't we? He says, let those things do their work in you so that you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. So James, first of all, says, consider it pure joy. Okay, I'm, I'm still thinking about that one. The, the, the jury's out. I'm supposed to be joyful when the challenges come. Um, but James says that, that, that how we respond to the challenges is part of our growth. So let me tell you, you know, so, so you may not be responding in, in what you would call a powerful spiritual way right now, but God's working on you. God is meeting you where you are, and God is helping you inch by inch, moment by moment to grow in your spiritual trust of him. So that's why honesty is very important. Don't hold it in. Don't hide it. God knows where you are. Let your loved ones know where you are. Let them come and hug you, pray over you. Let them nurture you. That's so important for this. So the question is, why should we rejoice in the face of trials? Well, James says that, that those trials is what helps move us so that we can become purified. That through the trials, we find out what our capabilities are. But, but listen to this. It's not about us. 
Because if you're like me, you can only go so far in solving a problem, or you can only go so far in dealing with the sanity of everything that's, that's going on right now with corona. Jesus could only go so far as a human at that moment to deal with that. And that's where God comes in. God comes upon you, and God adds God's strength and presence. And God is the one that helps build that so that you can move forward out of those temptations that come. You see, God is, is big enough. God is big enough, and, and God specializes in solving problems. You've heard me say this so many times, I'm going to say it again. Um, you know, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, said, preach it until you believe it. So I'm going to keep preaching it until we all believe this. You know, we look at our problems, and then we might sit down, and we might, you know, pray about it. Okay, I'm going to pray. God, I have this huge problem. God, this problem is so big. Ah, it's so overwhelming. I don't know how to deal with it. Whatever it is. But you know what? Turn it around. Instead of saying, you know, God, I got this huge problem, why don't you say problem? I've got a big God. And, and problem, you can't overwhelm God. You can't overpower God. You can't fool God. You can't chase God away. God is here. And I believe that that's what was going through Jesus' mind, knowing and feeling the perplexing nature of going to the cross of Calvary, that he knew despite that, that the heavenly Father was upon him, that, he, that being that which is the Son of God, that God was there and God was present and he was feeling that. You see, trials have a purifying quality and, and something good will always happen. Let me say that again. Trials have a purifying quality, and something good will always happen. may not be what you ask for, but something good will come. God works for the good, Paul says, of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And, and until that work is fulfilled and complete in you, so, so let God work in you through the midst of your adversity. God is bigger, bigger than any problem that you have. James, let's go back to what he says. He says, under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open. It shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you can become mature, well-developed, and not deficient in any way. Here's how the NIV translates that. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Say that word, perseverance, okay? Perseverance has to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. So, so your faith is tested, but you persevere. And through perseverance, you don't lack anything. See, this is contrary to, to how we're taught. And, and so, so this is kind of weird, but, but stay with me. So I'm supposed to allow the challenge to fulfill its work before me and not ask to get out of it too quickly because the length of time that the challenge is in my life God is building upon my faith. God is building upon my strength. God is building upon my ability to have perseverance. Did you catch that? So, so our head tells us when a problem comes, whatever we do, negotiate, get out of it. But God says, stay with it. Let, it, let me show you, God says, who you really are. Let me show you how strong I make you. Let me show you that you will persevere through this. Let me show you that you will definitely be a better person when all this is over. You see, the test challenges is not just linked to our journey. So it's not about us. Okay, I have the strength to do it. It's the ability to see what God is doing. Because you and I can only do so much. But when God is, is in our life, when God is there, wow, 
we can do all things through Christ, can't we? And, and everything comes. Let me, let me give you a couple of questions, a couple of questions to work with um, this morning. The first question is, in, when you're in the midst of a, of, of a, um, a trial, when you're in the midst of a challenge, um, so frequently our first question is to ask why, right? Isn't that the, the normal question? Well, why is this happening? Or why me? Or, or why them? Or why, why always my people? Why not those people over there? Isn't why usually the first question? Well, we'll see. I, I want you to kind of let that go. It's not a why question. It's a what. You know, Henry Blackaby, uh, years ago I read his book, Experiencing God. If you haven't read it, go, go read it. Um, there's a lot of great nuggets. And one of the things that he said in there that I've just held on to uh, probably for 20 years of ministry Blackaby says that, you know, in, in the midst of, of, of the what, what is it, Lord, you're teaching me? So when I'm in the midst of something, when I'm in a mess, when, I, when, when things aren't working out in life, when I'm just in chaos, the question is, God, what are you teaching me through this? And open your heart to learn from that. Open your heart to learn what that, what that means. You know, there are going to be times when, when you're in a situation, there are going to be times when I'm in a situation, there are going to be times when we're all in situations, and that's why James wrote this, because James said that none of us are exempt, and he's making it a point to let us know. So when we're in those moments and we're saying things which are natural things for us to say at times, when we say, I don't see you, Lord, I, I can't hear you, God, uh, why aren't you answering my prayers? I feel alone, Lord. I mean, have you prayed, have you said those words or prayed those prayers recently? Many of us have. But when you find yourself in the midst of that, Lord, why am I in this circumstance? Why am I in this situation? L listen very closely. I want you to stop that line of negative thinking. I want, I want you to stop that. And, and I want you to instead redirect your eyes on Jesus. Instead of looking at you, look at him. Instead of asking, what can I do to get out of this? Say, Lord, what, what, what will you do? Trust him, trust him, trust him. You know, friends tell me all the time, well, I can't see God, especially when, when things aren't right and I feel so alone. You gotta trust he's there. You know, he says, I will never leave you. He says he cannot lie. He's made a covenant with you. He says, I, I've come into the world, Emmanuel, God with you, I'm with you. So all those promises are there. So when you stop Stop whatever you do and, 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 and don't focus on yourself, but focus on Jesus. And when you do that, you'll start clearly seeing God's promise for you. That may not be, you know, um, exactly the plan that you have scripted out for yourself. Listen, uh, planning? I mean, who, who looks beyond a week now? Who looks beyond two days? You know, every day is different, right? So we're just kind of having to deal with this. And God says, affirm your trust in me. And for control freaks, whew, that's hard to do. But maybe that's the what that God is teaching us through this. A great hero, uh, Marshall Fauch, he, he said that, that there are no hopeless situations. There's only men and women who have grown hopeless about them. He says maintaining hope comes from seeing the potential in every situation and staying positive despite the circumstances. So that's another affirmation. When things are tough, resist the temptation to focus solely on you. Remember last week, Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, does God not care about the birds? Does God not feed the lilies? Does God not do those things? Does God not care about you even more? The promises of Scripture are there. You see, your misery today 
is going to be a shared testimony tomorrow. You know, when we come out of this, we're going to look back on this and we're going to go like, man, you know, look at what God did. I trust that God is working with the entire human race right now. I trust that God is not aligning with any political party in the United States, but God is looking at the entire human race and God is saying, I want you all to get it now. Look, get it. This is a time to come together. This is a time to be the people. This is a time to live into the person I've created you to be. And it's an opportunity for us to do that. Here's the, here's the second question. So the first question was what? The second question is, now what? Okay, what? And now it's in that creative. I thought about that on my own, didn't I? So no matter, no matter what you're going through or the challenges causing you stress in life, you have to ask, now what? So the now what is, how are you going to choose to process this? How are you going to choose to deal with this? How are you going to be a part of rejoicing in what God is doing in your life. James says, anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons loyally, loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. Dr. Robert Schuler, he's dead now, but he was a, 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 a pastor of the, Christian, of the uh, uh, Crystal Cathedral in California, wrote, wrote many books. One of the books that really meant a lot to me was Tough Times, Never last, but tough people do. And Dr. Schuler pointed out a couple of things, and, and he, he said that, that it's, it's, it's all in the mindset. You know, he was always the power of positive thinking and, and thinking positively with God in your life. And Schuler gives us a couple things, and I just want to share with you this morning. Here's the first thing he said. He says, every living human being has trials. So when you start thinking that God's after you or you're the only one affected by whatever's going on, that's not true. We're all, in, we're all affected. Every living human being has trials. Every living human being has problems, has troubles. So Schuler says, the minute you can just realize that I'm not the only one, everybody's in this, then you can move on to his second piece. And his second piece is, every problem has a limited time span of life. It's not going to go on forever. Listen, listen, you know, right now, I'm just as annoyed and, and, and put out by having to stay at home and not be with people and all that, just as much as you are. But, but in my heart and in my mind and in my faith, I know it will not last forever. How long will it last? I don't know. But the day will come that, that we'll be able to be together again, right? And, and that's the point that, that he has. He says, every valley has its low point. He says, every mountain has a peak. Life has its ups and downs. Life has its peaks and valleys. Life ebbs and flows, and we see those things coming. He says, challenges do end. They go away. They don't last forever. They always get resolved. And if we want to make this something else, look, look at all of the, the things that have happened to us as a global people, as a nation, you as a family. It didn't last forever, did it? He says, third, every trial will change you. So trials never leave you the way they found you. So, so you're going to be a different person based upon this experience in 2020 that we're all in, okay? You're going to be a different person. And the point is, what are you going to do with that? How is your testimony going to lift up someone when the next thing comes? How will you help them to know James says, this is what makes you a mature believer. 
because you're, you're working in the midst of your inadequacies, you're depending and trusting in God, and God is making you stronger. Lastly, uh, Schuler says, you can choose what your trial will do to you. We have free will, right? We can choose. So Schuler says, you can choose. Um, you may not be able to control everything all the time, but you can compose your response. You know, you can turn your pain into profanity, or he says, or you can turn it into poetry. He says, the choice is up to you. You may not have chosen your tough time, but you can choose how you're going to react to it and through it. In his book on prayer, Ollie Halsbury, Halsby says that, that prayer is opening the door and allowing God to flood our lives. Listen to what um, Ollie Halsby says. He says, to pray is to let Jesus into your heart. It's, it's not your prayer which moves the Lord Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus that moves you to pray. He says he knocks, and our prayers are, are always a result of Jesus knocking on our heart's doors. It throws light upon the old prophetic passage, before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Halsby says to pray is nothing more involved than to let Jesus into your needs. To pray is to give Jesus permission to employ his powers in the alleviation of your distress. So when you pray, you're giving the Lord permission to alleviate the, the, the distress that's in your life. To pray is to let Jesus glorify his name in the midst of your needs. To pray is nothing more than to open the door, giving Jesus access to your needs and permitting him to exercise his own power in dealing with all the things that you're dealing with. Friends, what, what gave Jesus the courage? What gave him the courage to, to get on that colt? What gave him the courage to ride into Jerusalem? What gave him the courage to, to hear beyond the, the praises and adorations of trying to build him up as this big leader? What gave him the courage to go into Gethsemane? What gave him the courage to pray all night, not only for himself, but for you and me? What gave him the courage to face the scourging that he faced? What gave him the courage to accept the nails in his hands. What gave him the courage to die lonely on that cross? It was the word of God. It was the presence of God. It was the promise of God. And let me tell you, that same promise is available for you. Let me leave you with a proverb, Proverb 3. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge God, and God will make your path straight. Amen.